Welcome back to the Metal Exchange, Justin and Chris here with you for another week. And if you are not a member of our Patreon, you're hearing this on January or in January potentially of 2024. So happy New Year, my friend! I can't believe it is now 2024 uh, by the time this episode drops. The first episode of the new year, and what better way to open the new year with, with an album that most people consider Judas Priest's worst album? <laughs> um, I, I have uh, I have I have some interesting thoughts about this, and I, I it was a fun it was a fun listen, but um, it, it's really interesting, like not being a, not knowing a ton about Judas Priest and their albums, like it. it it was interesting to me that this was kind of considered their controversial, you know, their chameleon or their uh, falling into infinity, if you will. Um, so it should be fun talking about this, and and we'll uh, we'll definitely read our friend Sean's thoughts, who uh, who re- who requested the album as well. So um, yeah, uh, happy New Year, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's do it. Twenty twenty four. I feel like twenty twenty three was uh, a really good year for us, um, especially the last. I don't know the last like six weeks or so. I just feel like we really had a boost with the um, with the you know talking to Jeff and Van from Nevermore and uh, the 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 Dream Theater Awake episode and the Sabotage Gutter Ballet episode. Just some highlights there. Uh, I thought really ended the year strong. So. Um, Good stuff. Yeah, I am uh, very excited. There's lots of news to talk about on the back end. Uh, and obviously, if you want to hear your requests you know, on the show, we do them every first Monday of the month. So I encourage you to join our Patreon. Where you wait get wait till next month. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, requests are plenty. But I'll, I'll say this. If you want to hear your request, uh, consider joining our Patreon t- exclusive access to bonus episodes, uh, monthly chats, etc. All the perks can be found in the links down below. I am really excited to talk about some Judas Priest. It is long overdue. And uh, I'll just say that when I had kind of floated this with some people and they're like, oh, you're doing a Judas Priest album or you're doing Painkiller, I said, nope, not quite. And uh, needless to say, we're doing Turbo, which is, uh, like you, like you said, kind of the black mark to some on the Judas Priest catalog. But before we get there, before we get there, a couple of things I listened to this week, which I thought were definitely noteworthy. The first is an album that I just flat out missed that came out earlier this year. The band is called Gods of Gaia. They're a symphonic death metal band, very melodic. Uh, the album is called As Daylight Dies, as is promising as that sounds but it's a really interesting <laughs> happy band. New year. <laughs> yeah happy new year um these guys take a a bite out of the sleep token playbook with masks and they kind of hide their identity so i have no idea who's in this band but they do a really interesting brand of symphonic melodic death metal so something to check out if i'm not mistaken this came out um over the summer i just flat out missed it so uh i could be wrong about the the release date but something to definitely check out and uh, another band out of Finland, a band called Graven Sin. The album is called Veil of the Gods. 
Uh, I was sent a single from this band, and it sounded to me just like something that would have been on the new Sorcerer album, which we covered in the archives. I really, really enjoyed it. Kind of a blend of doom and then traditional heavy metal. I, I really like this release. I thought that uh, this was a pleasant surprise. The album is, uh, like I said, called Veil of the Gods. It came out a couple of weeks ago, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Definitely, definitely worth checking out. So I would I would give everybody uh, a heads up on that. And uh, I got to spend a little more time with with both of them because those might be the last two candidates for my album of the year list. We're doing that episode. It comes out two weeks from today on January 15th, something we always look forward to. I know that an album that you wanted to hear before you kind of finalized your list was the new Therion album. I'm curious if you had a chance to listen and if you have any thoughts on it. Uh, yeah, I did listen to it and, and I only got a chance to listen to it once. I plan on going back to it, but, uh, it was pretty run of the mill as far as Therion albums go. Um, it was enjoyable, but I'm not, I'm not sure it's, uh, it made enough of an impression on me to make my list at the end of the year, but I will give it another listen. Sometimes that, uh, second listen just hits you a little bit different than the first, um, or, or in the case of, of All My Shadows, which I listened to today for the fourth time this year, uh, just hit me. I, I, I don't know. I, I just didn't remember enjoying it as much as I did today. And that, that just to jog everyone's memory, was that uh, that album that um, Andy Kuntz and some of the other members of Vandenplas did under the All My Shadows banner. The album was uh, Eerie Monsters. But I, I listened to it again today and enjoyed it quite a bit. And I think uh, it, it may have... Um, snuck its way onto my list i i really have to go through this list and just see like because at this point all i've done is is put all the albums in an order but i'm not even sure how many albums are on this list right now so at some point i'm gonna have to see where the cutoff is and who's gonna get lopped off uh but i'm still in the process of kind of re-listening to a handful of, of albums still um but i i will be ready for our uh our episode for sure Nice. I uh, I look forward to that immensely. Um, it's interesting that there's some like last minute additions, and sometimes when you go back to certain things, it hits you a little bit more than it might have when it first came out. With these two albums I mentioned, they're brand new or at least brand new to my ears, so it was kind of a, a first impression for me. I also listened to the Therion. I'm just not into the band, so it's it's hard for me to judge. And ironically, Sean, who is uh, recommended or you know asked that we cover Judas Priest's Turbo is a big Therion fan. So when you when you listen to this, my humblest apologies. I just can't get into the band. I know we have a lot of similar tastes, but uh, yeah, just not not into the new Therion. They've they've kind of lost me quite a bit over the last few years. I think there was one album that I particularly liked. I want to say it was Gothic Kabbalah, if I'm not mistaken. But other than that, the, the band kind yeah, of yeah, that was me. and that was a while ago. Was, that's got to be over a decade ago at this point. I think it's even longer than that. Honestly, I think it's closer to twenty years ago. If um, jeez, memory serves. I actually remember listening to that album with uh, Caleb driving back from New York. I forgot if it was. It might have been when we went and saw Gamma Ray. And that was, think about how long ago, that was maybe 2010 or 2011, because um, it was the last time they played in the U.S. Um, yeah, Gothic Kabbalah came out in t- 2007. Jeez. So, All right, yeah. so over 15 years ago. And if I recall, anyway. um, that was the one, that album had, um, 
Matt Levin on vocals, and uh, probably why I like this. I think Snowy Shaw did vocals as well on that one, but I remember some of the singles um, having like uh, Matt Levin, and and that really uh, piqued my interest because I've always been a big fan of his vocals. Yeah, uh, well said, well said. Um, and with with that, let's let's transition to Judas Priest. I. I and I say this a lot, and I, I know that I repeat myself, but I can't believe we haven't done a Judas Priest episode on the show. I nearly picked them at least three or four times, but for whatever reason, I pivoted and went in a different direction. So I'm happy this request came What album Sean. do you think you would have chosen if, if we had, like, the, oh, I don't think man. Turbo would have been your first choice, would it? I don't know that it would have been my 10th choice, if I'm being honest with you. Um, and I was not as familiar with this album. I want to be clear. I knew about three or four songs off of it, which we'll get to. Um, I don't really – I might have chosen Painkiller, to be honest with you. I think that I might have chosen – gosh, um, good question. I, I pro- that or Screaming for Vengeance, possibly from 1982, possibly Sad Wings of Destiny, possibly Stained Class from 78, just because I love the song Beyond the Realms of Death. I think I could have gone in either of those directions and been very happy. But this is a, this is a really different album. And, and before we even get into it, I'd love to hear why Sean picked this one. I'm so curious as to what the, impetus was for this like when we do next month's request i think there's a really strong impetus as to why why that was chosen and i mean that with all sincerity and this will all make sense when we reveal what album that is but i don't know that sean picked it for that same reason that the next album got picked so why don't you read to uh read to everyone what sean said about turbo yeah before that i'll read what dave milburn said to us on patreon uh when he listened to the end of the sabotage episode and found out what we were covering this week. Uh, He said, Oh, Judas priest. I wonder which of their classics will get chosen. Sad wings of destiny, screaming for vengeance, painkiller. Oh no. So (laughs) yeah, that's pretty much the, uh, the consensus on this. So, so then let's, let's now see what Sean had to say as as a a rebuttal to that. Um, uh, Sean said, I've recommended, priest turbo for the podcast even though i know it will rankle many priest fans because i think this album is underrated and dismissed far too easily still to this day it features genuine masterpieces on it reckless locked in turbo lover and of course the epic out in the cold my favorite priest song the rest of the album is a rock and great time and i associate its fun summery vibe to my hazy childhood memories of what, what life was like for teenagers hanging out in 1986 being a little kid watching my much older cousins hang out with their friends from the neighborhood with teased hair, skateboards, and the guys pumping iron in the garage, insulting one another for their lack of muscle. Turbo is not only a fun album to rock to, it's a vibrant reflection of a slice of life from a time that is soaked with nostalgia for me, even though I was too young at the time to really live it myself. As metal fans in 2023, or really 2024 as we should say at this point, uh, we should be able to view an album with a historical perspective in mind and appreciate it for what it is rather than perpetuate the angst that fans back in the day had when it was released. And I think that's really well said by Sean. And I think that we have in the past, you know, in reviewing, like I'd mentioned earlier, Halloween's Chameleon and Dream Theater's Falling into Infinity, which I think a lot of fans of both bands would consider, you know, that that 
when those albums were released, it wasn't, a, a, you know, a fond, fond memories of the band's, you know, heyday or whatever. But we went back and we looked at, you know, those albums with, um, you know, I think an honest, uh, you know, honest thoughts and, and, and not, and kind of took ourselves out of the moment and just listened to it. And I think, you know, it's easier for me because this kind of was, this is like my entry point to Judas Priest. And I'm, I'm fully expecting to be disappointed by all of their <laughs> albums after this. <laughs> but, um, well, as long as you go in with expectations that it doesn't sound anything like this, you won't be disappointed. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting that the two of us are going into it with totally different perspectives because you being familiar with, you know, the more popular Judas Priest album choices and me not really, I'm more of a like, you know, greatest hits kind of how I started out is with Iron Maiden, like knowing the, all the songs from that single disc greatest hits albums, you know, uh, you know, living after midnight and, uh, you know, things, you know, um, breaking the law and all the, you know, the classic stuff. Um, I even remember, um, when I was in college and I had my radio show, I was doing an episode shortly after nine 11 and somebody called in and requested that I play. You've got another thing coming and dedicate it to the, the bastard terrorists that, uh, and I, I didn't, I didn't quite, say that over the air due to FCC situations and not wanting to get my radio show banned. But that was the request that I received. I did play the song, but I probably softened the language a little bit on the request. So uh, I'm no stranger to Judas Priest, but I will say like, this is definitely the first time I've sat down and listened to one of their albums, like a number of times in a short span. First, I just want to say thanks to Sean for being a better writer than I would ever be. Uh, he's been on the podcast with uh, Carrie, uh, you know, the, the duo from from the MSR cast. So if you're putting two and two together, Sean the Metal Pigeon from the MSR cast is the one that made the request. You can check out some more of his writing at themetalpigeon.com and obviously on their podcast that comes out um, – you know, once or twice a month on the MSR cast feed, amongst others. Uh, good stuff. Which, all which around. by the way, we both give our highest recommendation to both his without question his blog and their podcast. One hundred percent. And so, thank you for the request. Uh, I hope that people check out his writing, and I'm happy that he picked this because I I am definitely more in the weeds with Judas Priest than you are. But at the same time, I wouldn't consider myself the aficionado that I am of Iron Maiden, where I've heard every song that the band has released. Um, there are Judas Priest albums, which I haven't heard in full. I, I know, I don't know, 50 or 70 songs, probably better than I know the rest. And, and this was an album where I didn't, I wasn't familiar with the whole album, like I mentioned. So this was a bit of a, uh, shock to me as well but i was also surprised that i knew certain certain songs on the album that i didn't realize were on the album if that makes sense so I'll, I'll get into that uh in in greater detail uh but before we kind of break this down it's uh it's it's 1986 this album comes out march 21st uh, it had been started recording uh you know the the june prior recorded up through february of 86 and then it comes out march 21st and it's the classic Judas Priest album, or I should say the classic Judas Priest lineup that you'd expect. Rob Halford on vocals, the twin guitars of K.K. Downing and Glenn Tipton, Ian Hill on bass, and Dave Holland on drums. Um, for an album that did not get a ton of love from the mainstream, or I should say from their longtime fans, it did very well in terms of getting radio play and MTV play. So like 
the album did well, which might have been part of the reason why they created the album the way they did to kind of keep up with the times. But I think that fans of the older Judas Priest stuff was probably like, what the hell did they just do? And and they really pivoted from from their prior material. And it was a sound that they would not go back to later on in their career. Uh, anybody that's heard Painkiller just four years later would say that it, they the two bands sound nothing alike. Uh, I'm uh, that's fair. Being familiar with that song, I definitely <laughs> would agree. But um, what I was surprised to find out was that this was actually a very commercially successful album. Like, yeah. it, it wasn't like you know Chameleon for Halloween, where it was not just a critical failure, but it was a commercial fa- or uh, you know commercial failure and a business failure as well. But this actually was um, their best selling record until 2005, I believe, according to. Uh, what Wikipedia had to say. Um, which yeah, it it reached number seventeen on the U.S. Billboard charts, which is a hell of a testament given all the music that was coming out around this time. It's a it, it charted well, it sold well, uh, and 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 to your point, they even got asked to be on the Top Gun soundtrack. I don't know if you're aware of this. They they would ultimately decline, but they had the Top Gun soundtrack wanted to use the song "Reckless" in the movie, and uh, the band politely declined, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, I wonder if that would have changed the trajectory of the band at all. Like, because that would have been probably a pretty huge deal um, if that had happened. It, it's funny because I actually read that they passed because they thought that the movie was going to be a flop, and boy, that couldn't have been further from the truth. Yeah, the one you know, a movie that even got uh, the re- the the reboot feature or the reboot uh, earlier this year or last year, if I'm not mistaken. So it's it's been. Uh, that was a miscalculation to say the least, but the band decides to kind of try things a little bit differently here. And, you know, in terms of inspiration and where they're, where they were coming from, apparently uh, Rob Halford was going through a lot of issues, if you will, around this time Uh, issues with um, issues in his personal life, issues with drug and alcohol addiction and, and, the way he puts it, he had kind of hit rock bottom. So for him, this was a very therapeutic release. And so for that, I don't know how you can blame the band for, for, you know, for releasing it. All the songs were written by Downing, Tipton and Halford as, as so many of their albums were, um, you know, at this point in their career, I'm curious to hear your initial reaction when you heard this the first time, were you just completely shocked by the sound or was it kind of, what you expected given the the backlash against the album i wasn't really shocked um i just thought it was like a little less harsh than i guess like uh, like you know songs like uh painkiller and you got another thing coming maybe harsh isn't the right word but um just more traditional heavy metal like this definitely felt like it fit in with a lot of the glam and the hair metal that was coming out around this time and you know god knows a lot of bands tried to to fit that mold, um, you know, for commercial reasons and, and, you know, to try to, you know, hit it big. And clearly this worked in Judas Priest's favor, even though it may have turned off some of the diehards. Um, it's still though, like I, I, I wasn't terribly surprised. Um, I was actually more surprised at how much I enjoyed it based on how derided it, it, it supposedly was. But I think the fact that Sean spoke so highly of it kind of softened the blow. I kind of figure, well, if Sean thinks it's good, it, it obviously 
you know, must have some merit. And, and, you know, it's interesting listening to it with like just no bias and, and just kind of, I didn't really read any like reviews negative or positive about it really outside of Sean's write up. Um, so yeah, like I, I just, uh, you know, it, I think it's okay. Like for a band, maybe at the time, yeah. Okay. You're going to get some backlash for deviating from the norm, but it, it, in retrospect, it's cool when bands experiment and do things a little bit differently. It doesn't, nobody wants to hear 12 albums that all sound exactly the same. I mean, maybe some people do. I don't know. I don't want to hear 12 albums that sound exactly the same. I, I, it's fun for me to go back and listen to falling into infinity or pink bubbles go ape or, or just albums that people might not particularly be fond of. But if you take yourself out of the time and just listen to some of the songs, like it's, it's for me, like it's hard to, to, to think of too many better Halloween songs than the chance, which, you know, was on pink bubbles go ape. And, and even Sean said that his all time favorite Judas priest song is on this album. So like, you know, it's sometimes you don't want to, just ignore something just because it's different because you might be missing out even if it's just one song you might be missing out on something really great yeah that's that's very well said and um last month or i should say earlier this month in our patreon uh you know monthly zoom and chat uh i had mentioned that we were doing this album and you know how much of an outlier it is in their catalog and actually one of our fans had mentioned something to me that i hadn't even considered but when you Add it to what I said earlier, it kind of makes sense. I had mentioned how Halford was going through a lot of stuff in his personal life at this point. And from what uh, I was told, and I, again, I can't confirm this to be true, but I have no reason to think it isn't. Um, this was a period in his life where Halford was, you know, I guess demonstrating the proclivity to kind of go to a lot of, you know, gay clubs and he was having issues with his sexuality and all that stuff. And apparently, a lot of the nods on this with the synth and everything else was kind of a nod to what he was doing in his personal life in terms of the whole new wave and all the stuff that had been coming out for the last three or four years in that genre, which was all very big club and dance music, right? So like when you marry that sound, but with the traditional heavy metal sound that Judas Priest has had at this point for 15 years, it kind of makes sense when you put it all together. Yeah. And then, you you couple that with also the the lyrical content kind of going into more of a relationship and love like kind of stuff uh, you know apparently halford's partner at the time had committed suicide and that was when you know halford decided to clean up his act and i believe they started recording this album uh after he kind of cleaned up um it's a, it looks like it was um a month during eight, December 85 and January 86, where he was uh, checked into to rehab. Um, Cause it, 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 apparently the band had kind of taken a bit of a break um, after uh, the, the metal conqueror world tour at the end of 84. And so I guess that might've added fuel to the fire when people were like really clamoring for the next album. And instead of, you know, getting that next, you know, really heavy, um, you know, metal album that they were looking for, this comes their way. And, you know, the die, the, the real diehard heavy metal guys, you know, they were not on board with the glam scene and the hair scene. And like, they were rebelling against that. So when, you know, one of your big heroes decides to try to like fit into that mold, 
I can totally understand why there might be, you know, some anger directed um, towards the band. I, I'd be curious if Judas Priest fans in general have softened their stance on this album with time, or if it's just one of those things where, you know, you, you, it, it brings back such bad memories that you just kind of stick it in the, the, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this. I, I don't know, and I can't speak for the fans, but I will point out an analogy before we start talking about the songs themselves. This comes out early in 86, but later that year, Iron Maiden, obviously uh, a band that's always talked about when, when talking about Judas Priest would come out with their record somewhere in time. And I know that you're a fan of that album with songs like Wasted Years and stuff like that. But that album was very synth heavy and people forget like that was a sound that not, not only Judas Priest was using in their music, but Iron Maiden was doing the same exact thing. The only difference is that Iron Maiden clearly was writing songs in the same vein as Power Slave that had come out two years prior. They just added that extra layer of sound with the synthesizers and the keyboards and everything else. So it wasn't like it was completely out of left field. Whereas uh, Judas Priest, I think the style of the songs had just gone in a bit of a different direction. I think that's a very fair assessment. Um, I just think a lot of bands around that time were experimenting with more synth because it just was, it was part of the, the music scene in the 80s. When you think about synth music, man, you think of the 80s, like whether it's new wave or, or just some of the heart, like, you know, Bon Jovi used tons of synth in, in their, their music. Um, Van Halen, you know, with their 1984 album, like Eddie just started, Eddie was like, all right, let's get some keys up in here. And boy, like, you know, you listen to, uh, you know, jump and Panama and I'll wait some of those like big hits from that album. Like that's just what everyone was doing. Rush was doing it. I mean, yes. they were always a, a band that had, you know, keyboards, but I mean, th- their eighties albums have a, a, a particular flair. Um, so it makes sense. Uh, I'm sure it's not, again, it's, it probably wasn't what the diehard priest fans wanted to hear. I'm sure if, you know, Master of Puppets had more synth in them, I don't know that the Metallica fans would have been too thrilled with that. But, um, you know, it, it, like you said, it, it was kind of a sign of the times. But I think the difference here is that, yeah, the the, the music also was kind of, um, you know, done in a more you know, glam fashion, a little bit more poppy than what Iron Maiden would do, where they were just kind of adding synth to songs that they would have otherwise have written. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought up Rush because a lot of the sounds that I hear in this album, though certainly not in terms of songwriting, but just in terms of the style and the sound, I definitely hear a lot of Rush amongst other bands, which we'll, we'll get into. Uh, but the album kicks off with Turbo Lover, which... I'll be honest with you. It was the big single from the album. Uh, I had first gotten into Judas Priest many years ago when I bought a uh, two-disc best-of set called Metalworks, and it was basically featuring all tracks from 1973 to 1993. And Turbo Lover was the one studio cut from this album. They would play, and there would be another track from this album on there, but it was a live version. And I always hated this song. And I'll be honest with you. I know it was the single. I know it kicks off the album. And I know Sean likes it. But to me, it's the worst song on the album. And it's the worst song by a country mile. Like, for some reason, it just never improved for me. And listening to it time after time, 
I don't know what it was because it wasn't the sound effects. It wasn't the synths. It wasn't the beat of the drums. I just find it to be very boring and repetitive. But by the same token, the whimsical instrumental section really did remind me of Rush as opposed to Judas Priest. So that definitely was something that stood out. Um, What happens is that the song kind of slowly picks up by adding different layers to the sound, but the chorus just repeats itself over and over again. And and the riff is a bit of a miss for me as well. I don't have a lot of kind words to say about this song, even though I actually enjoy the rest of the album, but I'll be damned if it doesn't get stuck in your head, man. Holy smokes. Like I hate the song, but I found myself singing it all week long. I couldn't have been too bad then. I had it uh, stuck in my head this morning. You literally texted me about this song and and i it was already in my head when i got your text i was like boy that is uh that's eerie um i i think it's a catchy song i I, it's not my favorite on the album but i think it's a it's a definitely um definitely makes sense that it was like chosen to be a single i think there was a music video for it which i now have to have to see um but uh yeah uh, catchy tune um it's probably one of the poppier songs on the album um i don't if if you were like gonna play this for somebody and say say you know i want you to hear a song from this album that maybe is more indicative of a a more metal sound this probably would be the song you chose uh, to say the least i i was being that it was like the first song from this album that i listened to i was like oh you know this isn't half bad I, i i i i might be in for a you know an enjoyable ride on this one and uh so yeah, um, but for me, I'm a big fan of new wave. So, and I'm a big fan of metal, obviously. So the idea of kind of combining those elements together is a win-win for me. And I think that's I have why no I, issue with this. Like in other words, I have no issue mixing the two. I I can get on board new wave. Obviously, a metal fan. I just don't like this song. To be clear, because there's a lot of elements of new wave throughout the rest of the album. I'll point it out, and to be honest with you. I dig it. I just don't like that song. It's just something about that song is a miss for me. I can't even articulate why. It's just, I think the repetitive nature of it, and it does lack a little bit of punch, but I I like the marriage of the two. So then how do you feel about the next track, Locked In? Clearly, it's probably safe to say you liked it a little bit more. Oh, yeah. This is a good song. Like, Love the opening riff. It has a little bit more of the traditional Judas Priest sound, except the synths are just, the synthesizers are just higher up in the mix. And what I like about it, it's a little more upbeat. The lyrics are a bit cheesy, but again, Halford for the first time on the album really kind of unleashes his vocal prowess on on this song. And I like that a lot. Um, It is not painkiller. I want to, I want to be clear about that, but at the same time, this is much better to me than, than Turbo Lover. It's a simple, but, fairly effective instrumental section with some really cool guitar solos and i actually like the interplay between the guitars and the synths in that section so this is a this is a hit for me i i I enjoy this it's not my favorite song on the album not even sure that it's in my top three but i i I like this song Uh, the opening riff reminded me of the opening of the two minutes to midnight which i thought was kind of funny um but uh, yeah, the rest of the song would go on to sound nothing like any Iron Maiden song I've heard. Um, but yeah, again, it's another I think just really nice blend of um, like just catchy melodic, you know, um, 
verses and chorus and chorus and, and you know mixed with that kind of you know metal guitar and drum sound but also with like a a little bit more of like an 80s style glam style um vibe i i like that the songs still have your traditional like so like guitar solos and all that um it's just a little bit of a like you know a little bit more 80s you know way of, of presenting it um but i i like this song um even more than uh turbo lover as well um i just think it's uh super catchy and really indicative of the time that it was released i feel like it would have fit right like right in with with anything else that was playing on on the radio at that time and and my understanding is this was another one of their singles yeah it's 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 definitely a step in the right direction um, and then we get even then we get even into more of a glam rock or an arena rock feel with private property. I mean, before Steel Panther did their ode to socialism with community property, it was private <laughs> property where Judas Priest was writing about the uh, you know the, the the ideals of capitalism. Um, this is a really interesting marriage between that Judas Priest sound. And the 80s glam stuff that was really coming alive in 1986, it's surprisingly not bad at all. And I actually love the vocal lines right before the chorus with the backing vocals kind of, you know, giving it that extra layer or that extra dimension. I think it has one of the better choruses on the album and it really has a a big feel to it. Like I can see this song being played live and and people that might not otherwise be into Judas Priest kind of being like, yeah, I can get into this. I like this song. It's very um, endearing in a lot of ways. I'm a, I'm a fan of this one. I, I think you probably share the same sentiment, but I, I can't say for sure. Yeah. I didn't love it initially, but it grew on me the more I listened to it. Um, the, the chorus I thought was kind of a, like a little bit on the cheesy side, but um it grew, again, it grew on me, and I ended up kind of liking it. I don't know if I like it quite as much as uh, the previous track, um, "Locked In," but um, uh, still a very, uh, very catchy song, and very um, again, I think it would have definitely would not have been shocking to hear this on you know hard rock radio in in the eighties for sure. It definitely has kind of a a commercial sound to it but in in a good way so to that end we're three tracks in and i think the three tracks sound kind of different from one another um i was surprised to hear parental guidance the next track and i'll, I'll tell you why momentarily but i'll throw this over to you had you ever heard this song and, and if not did um what were your thoughts on this one i'd never heard it before um it gave me a little bit of a deaf leopard kind of vibe to it just like again like a little bit more of that poppy um you know hard rock slash metal of the time but again it's another catchy tune i enjoyed this one quite a bit as well um i think i feel like all the songs kind of so far have kind of had their own flavor like you said like they're not it's not like a repetitive kind of uh vibe and the album in in on on the whole it is not super long so like it, it's um i think you got like this nice flavor of some quick in and out songs that all have their own um their own kind of vibe to it and this is another one um i i, I like this one as well i remember 
going on eBay easily 25 years ago. And I think you may even remember this. I bought two VHS cassettes and it was just random music videos because you couldn't watch Headbangers Ball in 1998. And I wanted to see what I had been missing a decade prior. So I bought these two VHS cassettes and I had no idea what was going to be on these things. And there's some really obscure stuff on there. But all of a sudden, there was a Judas Priest song that I had never heard before at the time. And it was the video for Parental Guidance. And I remember seeing the video back then and being like, this doesn't sound like Judas Priest, but there is something really endearing and catchy about this song. So I always had a soft spot for, for the particular track. I just never knew what album it was on because I had never heard Turbo. So long and the short of it is I was – this brought me back in many ways to those VHS cassettes and the first time I heard this song. Um, it is really just a more polished take on the traditional Judas Priest sound. Um a really, really catchy chorus. I mean, I saw a chorus that just constantly would get stuck in my head. A very awesome bridge that quite frankly reminded me a lot of Alice Cooper and what he was doing around 1987 with Poison and stuff like that. An amazing guitar solo. And even during the instrumental section, there was riffs behind it where if you can kind of get away from the fluff, I heard Mother by Danzig, just the you know the just the that the the riffs that are just so iconic, and you hear them on this song as well. This could have easily been my song of the week, but I, I decided to go in a different direction because something else jumped out at me a lot more. Yeah, I I also am a big fan of the the like layered vocals that they use. That it's just very priesty to me, and and they and I feel like they're pretty liberal with them on this album, and especially in this song as well. Um, that that like bridge with the layered vocals is so eighties glam. Like it's just, it, it, it could be, it reminded me like a, of like a Motley Crue or, or like a poison song or something like that. If only just for, you know, a line or two, like it's not really the whole permeating the whole song, but um, again, another, another solid tune. I thought. Yeah, I, I agree. And that kind of uh, in many ways, I guess is the end of, of, or I should say it leads to the final track of, of side one of, of the record, if you will. And that's Rock You All Around the World. And I have to be honest, this song of Out of All the Others, I think, is the one that kind of reminds me the most, potentially, of the older Judas Priest stuff. This and one other one, which we'll get to. This one's a bit faster. It definitely has a more chunky guitar sound. And it even leads with a guitar solo. Um, the verses themselves are a bit pedestrian to me, but I do like the riffs. Uh, it's a fun little chorus. I, I wouldn't say it's the best one on the album, but I enjoyed the drumming on this. I really think it just kept everything together. And again, I, I think that um, even the way this goes out with the various guitar noodling that kind of takes you out of this song, it's a good little way to end side one before you, you get to out in the cold um, to kick off side two, which is the epic track on the album. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm going to make this one my song of the week. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's like the... Uh, it's 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 not the short. It's almost the shortest song on the album. Parental Guidance is slightly shorter, but um, I just really love the way the song kicked off. It had so, it just had that really like catchy metal energy to it, and I just was. I don't know that the rest of the song lived up to the promise that the beginning of the song started with, but um, it was the song. The beginning of the song would be the the part of the album I would look forward to the most when I would go back and listen to it again. And I don't know. I don't know that I'd say it's the best song on the album, but it's just the song that 
I think hit me the the quickest uh, when I first listened to it. So I'm gonna stay uh, stay true to that and uh, make it my song of the week. And and since uh, Sean and you clearly have chosen other songs, um, this will give us a little bit of a little bit of a blend. So uh, why don't we give it um, a, a listen and uh, we'll come back and keep uh, keep it going. That was an interesting choice. I don't know that I would have guessed that that would have been your song of the week. So good choice, different, but there's a there's enough to kind of latch onto that I can totally see why you were drawn to it originally. Um, and that brings us to Out in the Cold. And, and I want to be clear, I had no idea that Sean had chosen this for his track of the week, um, or quite frankly, his track of the discography, I guess, based on what he said before. I didn't realize this was his favorite Judas Priest song. I had never heard it going into this week. It is my song of the week as well. That is really, really interesting. I want to tell you why, but you know something? We're going to do back-to-back songs of the week here. I want everyone to take a little listen to um, Out in the Cold, and I'll, I'll fill you in as to my rationale momentarily. This song I had no expectations for when I put on the album because, again, I had never heard it before. It clocks in at nearly six and a half minutes. It's It starts off really dark, very, very synth-heavy during the extended introduction. And it reminded me of like a video game soundtrack in many ways. And when I heard this, I said to myself, you're going to love this track. I'm surprised it wasn't your song of the week as well. Um, but all of a sudden, the drums slowly kick in with this really deliberate but powerful sound. And all of a sudden, you get the guitars that join the join the fray. And now it's all of a sudden you're off to the races. 
this song reminds me a lot of the stuff that Dokken was doing around this time. And we had covered one of their albums back in the archives. And I can certainly hear the parallels between this track and the Dokken material that was kind of a contemporary of, of this stuff. I love how the verses and the choruses just seamlessly integrate with one another. They sound different, but they flow into each other really, really nicely. And the guitars and the synths together just make for a really fulsome sound. This was the biggest surprise to me. I love this track, and I had to make it my song of the week. I'm, I'm curious to see if you share any of that sentiment. I, You know, I, to me, it, it sounds like something that would have completely been at home in, in in a soundtrack on one of the great 80s movies you know it just has yeah. this really epic kind of um you know march march to it um it's this could have been in top gun and i would have been like yeah that makes total sense yeah i mean it, it's 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 got this like deliberate but in a good way kind of uh pace to it whereas the last song was was a bit fast-paced this was, I think, well placed after that, where it, it's a little bit more of like that, just that classic, you know, that classic mid-tempo heavy metal song. Very has a very anthemic vibe to it. Um, absolutely understand why you and Sean would both choose it. Um, it just has a very, very again, I'll use the word a very epic feel, and, and I lo- and I love the use of the synthesizer synthesizers on on this uh, this song. It really gives it like just an epic 80s kind of vibe to it and you know oh i even believe it or not it reminded me of some of the um some of the mid-tempo power quest songs that are very keyboard heavy um to me like just of all bands to compare judas priest to like that i just caught some of that where it just felt like you know the the keyboard sound was really kind of uh a star of the show where, you know, to, from my understanding was not in previous entries from the band. Yeah, I, I can totally hear that. And, and power quest does obviously use keyboards and synth sounds very heavily on some of their songs, but when you slow down the pace and it's not one of their frenetic runaway train songs, I can hear the comparison. I'd be shocked if, if Steve Williams wasn't a fan of this era or this album in particular, because I can actually hear parallels to it. Um, unfortunately, this is much better to me than, than the track that would follow, which is wild nights, hot and crazy days. This was another one of the tracks that I knew, albeit a live version of the song. Um, it definitely has the party elements that I think a lot of the bands were going for at the time. It immediately, um, you know, I, I just I think the biggest issue I have with the song is that it almost sounded like they were trying a little bit too hard to be Van Halen in this song. You mentioned them earlier. I definitely hear it on this track. Um, and even the chorus has that whole hair metal thing going on. It's not my favorite track. I don't think it's totally cringy, but there's just something about this song that's a miss for me. Uh, the word I would use is derivative. Um, I think it's just kind of derivative to what so many other bands were doing around this time. Um, they could have left it to somebody else. It's probably my least favorite song on the album, to be honest with you. Um, I, I even think Turbo Lover is is a better tune. Um, not a bad song. Just I think I just think it's it's my least favorite on the album. It's just um, 
you know, it's just something that a, a bunch of other bands probably had done already. Um, fine for what it is, but I could have lived without it. Was Hot for Love markedly better for you? Yeah, I, I actually, um, this was a song that definitely grew on me the more I listened to it and kind of has, it reminded me almost of like Judas Priest and the Cars came together and made a, a, a song together because it has a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of Shake It Up by the Cars, but then like metalized into this, um, into this like, you know, metal anthem. Um, love the chorus. Um, I just thought this was a, a catchy tune, kind of a, a, a goofy title, but um, I, I just thought it was a, a catchy song. I really enjoyed the last two tracks on this album. I thought the album ended really strong with these two. I agree with you with Reckless, the last track, but Hot for Love, I listened to this track a bunch this week. I still don't know if I formed an opinion, so I'm going to abstain on this one. There are elements of this song that I really love. The cool sound effects at the beginning with the guitars behind it, excellent. Very intriguing start. And then all of a sudden, the the first verse kicks in, and I'm like, I don't really like this very much. The (laughs) chorus helps, but I just found the whole song to be very unbalanced. So like, I like some of it. I hate some of it. I still don't know if I'm coming or going on this one. I abstain. I have no opinion of this song. I, I, I think thought, this might be. I thought some of the guitar solos towards the end of the song were very reminiscent of, you know, Keeper era Halloween. It kind of had huh. that that dual, you know, guitar sound. Even though this predates that, um, it, you know, it's, it was almost like a small little window into the power metal yet to come. Um, I mean, you know, granted, you have, you know, two iconic guitar players here so not it's not really terribly surprising but it did remind me a little bit of that i mean any song that combines the cars and halloween is going to be a winner for me so uh, now it sounds like it sounds like if nothing else i have more of an opinion about this song than you do whether that's a good or a bad thing you know yeah this might be the first time 188 episodes or whatever it is and i'm abstaining i don't know what to think i just don't have a strong opinion i like some of it i don't like other stuff but I do like Reckless. I think it's a great way to go out. I think the riffs are great. It again reminds me of another Dokken tune. Uh, and Halford just sounds fantastic on this track. Although it has the pot, the party vibe to it, um, it really does kind of pick up steam and gets rather heavy towards the end. Great guitar work, good song, and a good way to close out this uh, unique album, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like this. And, and now I feel like anytime I listen to this song, I'm going to like picture where in top gun it would have fit like the best like where in the movie we might have to defer to to resident top gun expert nick favola on this one uh and see where (laughs) he thinks that this song should go in the film and what song it should be it should replace because i mean i don't know you, you can't really take out uh you know uh mighty wings by cheap trick i knew like that song is pretty epic so um I don't know where does the song fit in. Um, I could definitely see some just some of the dogfight scenes having um, this song playing, even if it's just the instrumental portions. I think that would have fit in a really cool way. But um, I just so, that's so interesting to me that the, that they literally were approached by the, the the people making the movie 
and saying we want this song to be in the movie and they they had uh one of the things they had said also is that they didn't want to leave it off the album and they would have had to have left it off the album had it been included on the top gun soundtrack so uh you know considering like the 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 reception of that movie you know it, it was such a critical success and it's almost like if that's what Judas Priest was going for with this album, the, probably the best thing they could have done was let this song be on that soundtrack. I mean, it's interesting, but you know, a lot of people probably thought a movie that, you know, ended up being a huge hit was going to be a bomb just because, you know, at the time they were probably, what the hell gives a shit about a movie about fire pilots, like, or whatever. But in the eighties, those kind of movies really hit big. Um, you had me so. at Kenny Loggins, so I, I was into that. <laughs> Just the soundtrack alone, I think this would have fit nicely. Um, and that kind of puts a bow on the album. I, I'd be curious to see where in the movie it would have fit in as well. Again, I too will defer to uh, Goose, a.k.a. Nick Favola on this one. And I'll ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, what are you rating Judas Priest's Turbo? Uh, I, You know what? I'm going to give this one a... Uh, seven point seven five. Uh, Ooh, that's just, a, that's higher than I thought. You really did enjoy this a lot. Yeah, just overall, I think it was just an enjoyable, uh, enjoyable experience. Um, like I said, like there there really weren't any bad songs. Maybe like a couple of songs that were just okay, but um, in general, I thought it was just a an above average, uh, an above average listen. I I I liked it. Um, probably more than um, probably more than most. For me, it's a seven. I say that just because there's a couple of songs that were real duds for me, but by and large, there were a couple of tracks that I really enjoy. I mean, genuinely enjoy. And, you know, when it comes to a song like Parental Guidance, I've enjoyed that song for 25 years, not knowing again that it was on this album. Uh, but then I hear Out in the Cold and I'm like, wow, this is just uh, phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of that track. I'll be going back to that as well. And then there's other stuff, which is good, if not great. So it's a seven for me. Um, really happy with the requests. Thank you again to Sean for choosing it. I'm glad that we got to uh, finally cover a priest album. I'm sure, I'm sure it will not be our last, uh, but uh, all in all, a very interesting, interesting listen. Yeah, I wanted to like read one last thing uh, that I saw on the Wikipedia page for this album. Um, it said, despite Turbo's achievement and reception, Downing said that it wasn't the big selling album that we hoped for. I think quite a lot of that went on with the acceptability and success of a lot of other bands that you would look at on MTV. Even Ozzy went to the hairdressers. I, I love that quote. It's <laughs> really, really good. Yeah, just in, an interesting time for the band. They would arguably get back on track with their future releases, you know, just a couple of years later. So an interesting time. I, I look forward to doing another more classic, quote unquote, mainstream Judas Priest album with you to get your thoughts and just kind of compare and contrast the two to this album. I'm, I'm really kind of curious about that. Um, but before we get to next week, I did not choose a Judas Priest album, although I may at some other point in 2024. A lot of news to cover. Um, first and foremost, Crimson Glory, after a long hiatus, is back with a new singer, namely Travis Wills of the Dallas, Texas-based band Infidel Rising. They will be coming out with a uh, lyric video on January 20th. They've got some concerts set up for October 2024. Uh, 
interesting, always interesting to hear music from Crimson Glory. I know that they've gone through a number of obviously singer changes and sound changes over the year, but they are, they do have an underground following and I'm curious to see where they go from here. So kudos to them for finally getting back together. Um, Another band that is going into the studio with the eyes towards a 2025 release and that is Creator, who we've talked about a lot on this show. We have not covered one of their albums. I assure you that will change, but they are going back into the studio to record. We're going to need to cover a Crimson Glory album one of these days, too. Very, very good point. So uh, I wanted to just give a shout-out to, to them for going back in the studio. These guys are machines. Every two or three years, you can expect a Creator album followed by a massive world tour. Uh, another band we've not covered, and that's Annihilator, celebrating the 35th anniversary of one of their uh, quote-unquote legendary releases, Alice in Hell. They're doing a bunch of shows to commemorate um, this album. Uh, really interesting stuff um, from Annihilator. Jeff Waters, obviously, the mastermind behind this band. And finally, Manowar announcing a one-off show in New York City coming back to the stage after many, many years in the United States, celebrating the 40th anniversary of Sign of the Hammer. They're playing in Brooklyn next November. Are you going to that show? Uh, as of now, no. Um, but that might be more due to not knowing where I'm going to be uh, come you know, that time. Uh, I'm not really – other than Prague Power, I'm not really committing to any concerts. Um until I figure out like where the hell I'm going to be because uh, getting to Brooklyn might not be as, uh, as convenient as it once was. Uh, But um, we'll see. Uh, I'll be curious to see a um, how the ticket sales do B if Manowar doesn't end up just canceling the show altogether. Uh, The fact that Caleb has tickets makes it pretty likely that at least a 50, 50 chance the show doesn't actually take place at all. Um, but, but we'll see. Um, I, I had seen now, I don't know if this has, if this pertains to the particular show in Brooklyn, cause this is literally a one-off us show, but, um, elsewhere on this tour, they are alternating, uh, nights, which album they're playing in full. I believe sign of the hammer is being played on certain nights and hail to England, I believe is being played on the other nights. And so you would, in order to see both of these albums play in their entirety, you would have to go see two shows um, and plan accordingly. And then I believe that they do kind of a, a greatest hits situation on the back end of those, um, of those shows. Frankly, like I'm kind of holding out hope that maybe they just do a show where they, they play everything from fighting the world, Kings of metal, triumph of steel and louder than hell. Cause that's kind of like my sweet spot for Manowar albums. Um, not big fan of anything after that, not a big fan of anything before that. So. All right. That- <laughs> well, I think there's a couple of good songs on both of those albums. Although I wouldn't say that every song is good, but you know, listen, I, I do not have tickets. I do not plan on going. We'll see the way the road takes us next year. We'll see if there's a Manowar show next year. Uh, always a 50-50 shot at Let's best. see if there's a Manowar Caleb... next year. Yeah, there, that's, that is a fair point. Uh, but what there is is another Metal Exchange episode next year. Just so uh, everybody understands, we're going to do an album next week. And the following week, we will present our top 50 episode 
looking back at all things 2023, which is something that not only we look forward to uh, each and every year, but a lot of people have been requesting. So that is to come. But next week, we celebrate an anniversary, the 20th anniversary for an album that came out on January 12th, 2004. And this is my present to you because we're doing a power metal album and it's a band that we've not covered on the show. Uh, We're going back to Heavenly and their album Dust to Dust, a massive concept album that came out 20 years ago this month. Um, This is a band I've wanted to talk about. I don't know how familiar you are with this band, but I have a feeling you're going to like this for many reasons. Uh, Have you ever heard this album in its entirety? And if so, when was the last time you listened to it? Uh, Let's take a look at my statistics here. I'm a little sad we're not covering the live Skylark DVD, but that's okay. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. According to... It looks like I've never actually listened to this album start to finish all the way through, although there are songs that I am familiar with, uh, particularly Kingdom Come and Lust for Life. So um, probably because I thought they were Manowar and Gamma Ray songs. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But um, <laughs> yeah, the, the the stuff that I do know from this band, uh, I am a big fan of. Um, I, I'm more familiar with the first two albums uh, coming from the sky and Sign of the Winter. But um, this is good. This actually... It, this looks like it's the only heavenly album I haven't really listened to start to finish. Um, boy, they are, they're due for another album provided so they still part exist. Of, part of the reason I chose them is they actually announced that they reformed last year. So they're back in business. I have a feeling they're going to record something in the not so distant future. And I mentioned creator before the original guitar player for uh, heavenly is a guy by the name of Frederick Leclerc who is now in, creator so everything seems to come full circle so he's ditched the power metal roots and is now uh playing thrash metal uh with the german thrash legends so uh this guy's been in a lot of bands by the way but he's still in creator he was in dragon force for a yeah i was gonna say i remember when he was in dragon force yeah but uh not 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 so much anymore but i thought that this would be an interesting album to cover and with them getting back together i thought it would just be a fun way to kind of ease ourselves back into 2024 and we haven't done a power metal album in some time so i figured i'd throw you a bone nice uh i'm trying to think of the last time that you picked a power metal album but yeah looking back at our list it has been it's been a while i mean do you you might not even want to count chameleon by halloween as a power metal album so if that's the case uh we we go we're going back quite a bit so uh yeah that's a fun choice i'm looking forward to, to listening to that and uh so yeah, pretty much my next couple of weeks will be listening to Heavenly and uh, everything that came out last year. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And then uh, as we kind of drift towards the end of the month, I look forward to hearing your selection as we kind of get deeper into January here. But uh, if you like what you hear, please give us a like and a follow. It helps other people join the show. Consider joining our Patreon. We appreciate the support. And uh, we'll come back next week with some French power metal uh, it may also be the first French band we've done. I don't know that we've covered anywhere anybody from France. Uh, it's possible. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. But, um, you know, another thing we need to probably discuss is we are approaching episode 200. Um, this this episode uh, uh, we're right now is 188. Um, 
so yeah, uh, before you know it, um, it's probably going to be sometime in March, I guess. So we'll have to think of what we want to do for that. Um, that's pretty insane to think that we've done this many episodes and, uh, thankfully the, the interviews have helped pad out those numbers a little bit, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's amazing. Um, so something to look forward to, but, uh, not before our, a really, really interesting request for February. <laughs> so, uh, that's I say? Be... that hasn't been said already about, um, that album, but, we march on. We march on with January. So enjoy the week, my friend. Enjoy some power metal, and uh, we'll catch you uh, sooner rather than later. Sounds good. Uh, this was this was fun. Thanks again to Sean for uh, requesting it. And um, yeah, it might be one of the very few people who uh, started off their Judas Priest fandom with Turbo. So I, I think that might be uh, the only person. Yeah, to be at least with not you. somebody that you know wasn't actually in 1986 listening to music you know i was three i think when the album came out so uh yeah cool choice and uh definitely an enjoyable listen so thanks again sean and uh you know as justin mentioned earlier if you want to make a request join the patreon and uh, next month we'll show that we are willing to cover just about anything so uh, we'll leave you with that take it easy my friend yeah,